0: This is going to be a Christmas series of messages, probably like a few that you've ever heard. But I have, you have to admit, it's hard every year as a pastor, especially 26 years pastoring, to, to retell a story that's been told again and again and again in a fresh way. But I'm excited about this time, especially because of the ripple effect that it can have. Whenever you think about Christmas, don't think about a day in the year. It is much bigger than the day. It is about the meaning of the word Christmas. Whenever you get the, the etymology of the word Christmas, you have to pull it apart. You have to break it apart into two different words. Christmas comes from actually the Catholics, and the Catholics brought it brought it to the, to the equation. And it means Chris or Christ. Mass. If you bring those two words together, then you have this concept of Christ worship, okay? So mass means worship, that whole idea of of worship. And so Christmas or Christ... Mass means Christ worship. Hang on to that. Everything in this series is going to come back to that, that whole concept. I want to talk about how you need to do Christmas 365 days a year. Some of the kids in the room are going, yes, at 365 days. Some of you who like Christmas music. In September, raise your hand if you're that person. All right. You like Christmas music. Now you have a reason. Because you should celebrate Christmas, Christ mass, worshiping of Christ all the time. So you have complete freedom from, from uh uh, from, from my vantage point, but when you think about it and you think about it as in one day, December 25th, you got to really kind of erase that from your mind, all right? Because probably very, very, very likely Jesus was not born on December 25th, all right? And I can, get, I can go into all the history behind that, but actually for the first 125 years, the early church, that means Peter, Paul, John, all those guys, they had already died and gone on to heaven. They didn't even celebrate the birth of Christ. So, welcome to the Bible age. They did not talk about anywhere in the Bible, and for the first 125 years, uh, following the life of Christ, or in that time period, celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, not saying it's not important, not saying we shouldn't do it. I just gave you permission to do it all year round. In fact, that's the key about the whole thing, is if we limit it to one day, then we exclude it from all the other days. We don't want to do that. We need to let it infiltrate all of our life, because again, what Christmas means is Christ worship. In fact, it was Julius, the I guess the first uh, Pope Julius in 320 uh, AD, that he set aside in the Catholic Church again that December 25th would be the day that we would celebrate Christ. Which, by the way, was in the Greek culture, was a pagan holiday. So we are actually celebrating Christ's birth on a pagan holiday, according to the Greek culture. But not that we're redeeming that day, right? But here's the point. Don't think of Christ, don't think of Christmas as one word. Think of it as two words. Think of it about me worshiping Christ. Am I worshiping Christ? And can I do it? Can I imagine myself doing it so well that the next generation, the children, my children will love the whole concept of worshiping Christ all the time? Because this is where this, this series of messages is going to take a bit of a turn. We're not just going to talk about Christ we're not going to just talk about a babe born in a manger. We're not just going to talk about somebody wrapped up in swaddling clothes. We're not going to talk, talk about that. We're going to talk about how we can make sure that happens in your family, not just today, not just this year, but that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation will worship Christ. will have this vibrant relationship with, with Christ. And how can we do that? Because here's the reality about parenting, about adulting, if you will. We spend most of our lives preparing the next generation to live their lives. Think about that. We spend most of our lives preparing the next generation to live their lives. You have a child, you have two children, you have three children, you have four children, however many God blesses you with. And maybe you're not even married now and you're not there yet. Now's a good time to get the, the house in order before you start having children. And the point is, is that we're going to have them for 18 years. If they don't launch, we may have them longer than that. You know, we have 20, 25 years. We're going to be influencing them, speaking into their life. We spend the most of our lives preparing the next generation to live their lives. But do we do that on a faith level? And when we think about Christmas and we think about worshiping Christ year round, sorry, I have a cold and I'm trying to um, survive it right now. If we think about Christmas, I want to give you three kind of pivotal bullet points. Jot them down, remember them, reflect on them, talk about them around the family table this week. Here's the first one. Christmas is not a day, it's a life. It's not a day, it's a life. If we limit it to a a day, December 25th, then we're going to miss it the the remaining parts of the year. We're going to miss it all the way through. We need to see it as a lifestyle, okay? Christmas or Christ mass, it doesn't just happen here. It happens there, all right? We take it there. We do it here, okay? What do I mean by here and there? Here is church. You would naturally think you do Christmas at church. But listen, I'm saying you do worship of Christ there as well. Your home is there. Your school is there. Your life is there. Your sport is there. Your, your team is there. Wherever you do life, you do Christmas there. You do Christ there. Christmas, again, third one, is it won't happen tomorrow if we don't do Christmas well today. I'm making a verb there. An the idea that we are doing something with Christmas. And if we don't do it well now, it's not going to happen there. And if, we don't, and if we don't do it well within this generation, then we're going to miss it in the next generation. So we have got to zero in on what is it going to take for me to make sure my children leave my house, go and start their families, and they walk with God and they worship Christ throughout their life. This is a little of a daunting statement. Of well, you might want to jot it down, or at least meditate on it for a moment. Our children are our messengers that we send to a world that we will not see. Our children are our messengers that we send to a world that we will not see. We launch them. We send them out. And one of these days, we're going to be pushing up daisies, and they're still going to be living. They're still going to be making the next generation and the next generation. And we're going to send our children into a world that we will not see, that we will not go, and how well are they and how equipped are they and are they living Christ well? Are they doing Christ mass well? Are they serving and living and loving Him well? This is something, listen, let me say this to you today, let me say it to you next week, let me say it to you the next week, And you you read the magnificent uh, uh, Mary's prayer in the the very gospel account of her hearing from the angel. And she will talk about the value of this generation and the next generation getting the story. So I'm just saying at the very core of the Christmas message is the whole idea this message has got to go from generation to generation. How are we going to get there? This reality of worshiping christ how are we going to get there well god gave us a pretty good plan a long time thousands of years before christ and christmas in december 25th or whenever he was born ever came into being take your bibles we find the book of deuteronomy i know it due to who deuteronomy Way back there in that Old Testament part, you're going to find it, you're going to look for it, your pages are still going to be stuck together most likely uh, in your Bibles or you know, look it up and find it or we'll have it on the, on the Sky Bible there and you could follow along. But here's what I don't want. I don't want to be the generation where it says in Romans chapter 1, God turns them over to their passions. You just read that, Romans 1. It's a pretty daunting passage. When God turns us over too. I, listen, I don't want God to turn me over. I want God to bless me. I want God to undergird me. I want God to, to take my family from this generation, the next generation, the next generation. And I want Him to bless it. And I want Him to be upon it. I don't want Him to turn me over. And when you come to this passage, we find a great a great promise of God and a great, a great plan of God. And you might look at this as, okay, we're going to talk about this Christmas thing here. How can we get it from this generation to the next? This is the laboratory. This, your family is the laboratory. and We're going to work on it. We're going to train. We're going to do some things in this month of December that we've never done before. We're trying it. We're not afraid to fail. So we're going to try it this year and we'll talk about whether or not we're going to do it in the future. But we're going to try it and you'll hear about some of it today. But in Deuteronomy 6, this is this is the message or this is the passage that undergirds everything that we're going to do in the month of December. So follow along as I begin reading in the first part. De- Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one. Now this is the commandment and the statutes and the rules. Boy, that's a heavy already, right? Commandments and statutes and rules. Listen, eleven different times in the Hebrew language in two chapters five and six of Deuteronomy, does he use the word, the root word command? He's gonna really get at something here. Listen. This is this is not just merely God's giving some suggestions. God kind of giving you some ideas. No, this is God giving us a good plan for the future to make sure we live well, our faith prospers, and so forth. Let the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them. Underscore that, circle that. I've actually got it circled in my Bible. Every time God gives us instruction, it's not to increase our knowledge, but to increase our obedience. It's to change the way we live. That you may do them in a land in which I'm going, uh, that you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons. See the generational thing here. By keeping all the statutes and the commandments which I've commanded, that all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear, O Israel. Hear, therefore, O Israel. And be careful to do them. Again, he emphasizes the, the action idea of this that it may go well with you. Not only that your life would be long, that's quantity, but the quality of your life would be there as well. It may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. All right. Now we know that's the reference back to the the promised land. He's going to give him this promised land. It's going to be a beautiful land. It's going to be, it's not going to be all everything's going to be perfect, but it's going to be a beautiful promise of God and He's going to give you a quality and a quantity of life that you wouldn't have any other way, but you're going to have to walk in my ways. You're going to have to go my way. So here's here's what I want us to answer. I want us to kind of kick this question around. What's it going to take for me to make sure that my children and my grandchildren, or my, my future children, or my nieces and nephews, or, uh, or or my big brothers and big sisters, or or whomever I have to influence in to speak into their life, or maybe it's a class that I'm teaching, or a, a small group of uh, of youth that I'm leading, or how can I make sure that my faith gets from here to there, or maybe better yet, from here to there in their hearts? How do I make sure that happens? I think there's two necessities, and he mentions them right here. The, the first necessity is that we've got to exemplify the Christian life. Exemplify. Okay, now, i me say, I know the Christian faith was not actually fully birthed until the New Testament, but listen, the old and the new fit together. Okay, so we're really bringing the two together. So the, the faith of following God, if you will, or exemplify the life of what it means to follow God. So we're just going to call it the Christian life. Uh, Here and and one of the key things here is he calls us to, is he calls us to this simple statement, and and it's it's sixteen Hebrew words to be exact. It could be a tweetable moment if you if you were writing Hebrew, okay. And this one statement, however, please please hear the magnitude of this statement that we're about to read together out loud, okay? That statement that's on the screen right there, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four and five is what in, in the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew tradition, is called the Shema. It means to hear. And if you notice, the very first word he says is hear. Hear, O Israel. Now this word, this, this, this Shema, this, this thing that is so, this is so important, and why is it so important? Listen, it is so important that still today, if you are a devout Hebrew, a Jewish practicing your faith, that you will say the Shema three different times in a day that if you're still a Hebrew practicing uh, follower, follower of Yahweh God, that you will go to the synagogue and that you will not leave the synagogue before you say the Shema. It is absolutely the central statement of, listen to this, not the Old Testament, not the New Testament, but the entire Bible. If you want to read the entire Bible in one statement and everything that is in the Bible, that pertains to the Bible, it pertains to following God, to knowing God, then you get the Shema down and you've got it down. That's the significance of it. It's so significant that Jesus himself refers to it as the greatest commandment. And we'll read about that in a moment. But right now, let's read the Shema together out loud. Read it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The Shema, right there, simple statement, right? But what does it mean? I think if we unpack it, we'll understand, understand it a little bit better. One is to what it means to live out and to exemplify this Christian faith. It means to personally know God. Now, notice that he didn't say that we, hero Israel, the Lord, a God, or the God even, which would have been okay, but notice he says, our God. And then he says, not only that, our God, but then he says, the Lord is one. There's not thousands of gods and you pick your God. This is a bold yet intimate statement. He's saying there is only one true expression of God. There is only one God. There is only one way. It's what Jesus reemphasizes in the the Gospel of John, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. There is only one God. And by the way, we get to have a relationship with this God. He becomes our God. We enter into this relationship with Him that is beautiful and powerful and it is life-transforming. And if you don't know Him that way, then please, my friend, you need to dive into knowing Him that way. It's what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He records three of the four Gospels. Does He refer to this very statement Himself? Let's let's read one of those one of those statements in Mark chapter 12 verse 10, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, which brings me to the second part, that is practically loving God. It says, you, you got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Everything is within you. I don't know what, what, what Moses was thinking as he was jotting this down. Obviously, the Spirit of God was breathing it into his soul as he was writing it down. But it was like, okay, how much of me can I break apart? You know, okay, I have a body. I have a mind. I think I have a soul. I think I have this. It's like every part of a person, he pulled it apart. and He said, listen, you've got to love God with that. You've got to love God with that. You've got to love God with that. Every part of who you are, heart, soul, mind, strength, you love God. Now, here's a question for you. Moms and dads, I want to talk to you first. If Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, calls this the greatest commandment, and if in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and also in chapter 11, by the way, it repeats itself, it is what Israel is supposed to build its country, its nation, its life by. It is absolutely the crypt notes of the entire Bible. Then here's the question that you have got to ask yourself. I've got to ask myself, am I living that kind of relationship? Do I know God as a person, as a, as a relatable father, as a relatable God? Or is he a religious figure? Is he a philosophy? Is he an opinion of somebody See, to know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to obey Him. You want to know the language, the love language of God? Do what He says. Obedience. It's the love language of God. We, uh, he said this, He says, If you love Me, you will obey what I command. It comes back to the very first words of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The commands and the statutes, if you'll do them, if you'll live by them, listen, your life is going to be better. It's going to be more full. It's going to be more complete. It's going to be everything that you want. Now, if you go over here and do it your own way, listen, you're going to get your own thing. But if you want to do it my way, listen, I'm going to give you something that you would not believe. I'm not saying it's all going to be perfect and you'll never have a wart and the cancer will never be in your life and you'll never lose a job. But listen, you will have me walking with you through life. And you'll be okay. You'll make it as you follow in my steps. I heard the story of a of a boy growing up in Germany, and he grew up in a in a Jewish family, and uh, his dad was a businessman, and they lived in this part of Germany at this time, prior to World War Two, uh, where there was a large Jewish population, and the dad took a job or took his job to a different part of Germany where they planted themselves and had life and did life. And they were Jewish. They went to the synagogue when they were here, but when they went over here, there was more Lutherans than there were Jews. And so dad all of a sudden converted from Judaism to Lutheranism, if that's the word, um, and decided to start going to the Lutheran church. And the son said, what? Why, why, why are we doing this, Dad? You were t- teaching me in the synagogue in the bar mitzvah. You're saying this is the way to go, but now you're saying, son, son, you don't realize. There's, 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 more, there's more Lutherans here than there are Jews. And, and this is his exact words. He says, it's good for business if we become Lutheran. That boy registered that inconsistency That boy registered that duplicity. That boy registered that hypocrisy. And that boy grew up to become a man and began to become an author. And he wrote a book, and his name was Karl Marx, and his book was called The Communist Manifesto in which he said that religion is the opium of the people. Here's the sad tale. Moms and dads, aunts and uncles, grandma and granddads in this room. There's a generation behind you watching you. And though you might do one thing in front of me and one thing in this building, and you might look a certain way in certain environments, your children are registering everything, whether it's a truth or it's a lie. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that to wake us up that if we're going to make sure our faith gets transferred to the next generation, we're going to have to exemplify, because here's the life principle for you. You've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a hundred times, that we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. I want to talk about the second necessity to making sure the faith gets to the next generation Explain the Christian life. Don't just exemplify the Christian life, but we need to explain it. We need to become teachers of it. We need to help our children. And we don't outsource this, okay? We outsource basketball and football and gymnastics and things that we can't do. And if you're not good at, uh, at math, you, you go find a tutor to help your child with. You outsource some things. Listen, listen, we can come along beside you, but you cannot outsource your faith to the church. We can help and we want to. In fact, we're going to do everything we can to help you, but we are not going to replace you. And we cannot, hear, hear, hear what I'm about to say, we cannot erase what happens in your home by one hour on Wednesday night at youth group. Or a We World Arts and Crafts project. We have got to make sure that we realize we have great influences on our children and we are, as they grow older, losing the influence on them. So we've got to start early and work diligently and be very intentional about it if we're going to make sure the next generation gets it. Barna did a study a few years ago and he he highlighted some of this. And and he said that in his book, uh, Transforming uh, uh, Children into Spiritual Giants, He's, in his study, he found that uh, asking 13-year-olds, what are your greatest influencers? You might think the church, the youth group, the youth pastor. You might think uh, uh, the mom or the dad. Who is influencing your moral compass in life? Who is changing your moral, ethical, spiritual uh, uh, life out there? And this is what they said. 51% said music or songs and movies. 50% and the Internet. We didn't even make the top three. Moms and dads, you didn't make the top three. I'm not saying you're hopeless and you're helpless in this situation, but we've got to understand that we are swimming upstream and it's not going to be easy to influence the next generation, especially if there's inconsistency. So let's come back to the passage of Scripture and let's see, hear what he says. After the Shema, he says this He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and, and so forth. And then he comes uh, to uh, verse 7 and he says, And you shall teach them diligently. To your children. Teach them. What are we going to teach our children? And how are we going to teach our children? I know we can lecture our children. <laughs> See how well that works when they're teenagers. How are we going to teach our children? Here, The problem is I'm going to take them to the church. No, listen to this. We, the church only gets them about 1% of the time. The school gets them about 18% of the time your home gets them 81% of the time. I heard a parent say this recently to me. It actually disturbed me quite a bit. That sometimes I don't even know when my kids are in the house and I have to go to the bedroom to see if they're even here. And And I understand that that's a part of our culture that we're struggling with. But I wonder sometimes how much are we allowing that to happen as passive parents versus being intentional parents? I want to challenge us in this series to make sure that we as parents own our part. The church will come along beside you and help you, but we have very little help that we can give you if you are not actively, intentionally doing something with your children to help the faith get transferred to them. So i want to ask a question today. I want to ask you, are you intentionally spending time with your children? Investing in them where you are intentionally, I can't give you the word intentionally, not just accidentally, not just randomly, but are you intentionally spending time with your children to make sure there's spiritual formation consistently doing this? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your phones, and it's just a good time to confess. This is the results from our first gathering. And and here's here's how it's going to work. You're going to text uh, that message, GPC NWA, to that number, 22333. They're going to send you back an immediate text. you got one or two answers. And here's the question. Before you answer it, listen to this question. Does your family have an intentional... That means you as mom and dad, maybe the kids don't know when it's going to happen, but you as a parent, you know you're going to look for a time. It's going to be on a certain time. Last Sunday night for us, it was when we were getting ready to have dinner, and we just talked about, hey, is there anything we can pray about? We just went through a list of things in the family. We took time, and we prayed about it, okay? So consistent, intentional, three times or more a week. Now, I'm going to give you Sunday, okay? This is a bonus. You're here, all right? You brought your kids here. That's important. Hopefully, your children are here on Wednesday nights if you have teenagers, Okay, so what's your answer, A or B, that you're seeing spiritual formation happen in your home. So you can go ahead and and start filling that out and sending that in, and uh, we're going to tabulate that. And listen, this is not meant to berate or hurt or make you feel bad and all that. This is just, we have to do an honest assessment on where we're at before we can really know where we can go and where we need to improve. And the reality is, is that as it populates, we can clearly see we're slanted towards the no. We just aren't doing it that much. And again, what this month is going to be, let me reemphasize this, is a series equipping you as parents so that you will be able to do this moving forward. All right? Because the reality is, is that most homes, and this is just national average, is that most homes, one in 20 families, one in 20 families will have a time of worship and prayer, a time where they share together. And here's the challenge for you, okay? Here's the challenge. I want to challenge you to reclaim your table. Reclaim that kitchen table where you're sitting down for a meal a week, a meal a couple times at that table a week, where you're sitting down having prayerful discussions. What we're going to do, and if you didn't get it last week, you can get it this week, is we've got three weeks' worth that we're going to help equip you as a family to have five days' worth of something to talk about. Sometimes it's not a lecture. It's creating conversations. It's reading Scripture and saying, hey, what did you hear? What did you see? The the Scripture this week is this passage. So we're already teeing it up as best we can. Parents, moms, dads, you're going to have to take the lead. And you're going to go through this just day by day. It's not complicated. It creates conversations, creates opportunities. We want you to reclaim the table all the way. Now I want you to hear this because I'm going to drop a bomb. Starting today, you start that process. For the next three weeks, all the way up to Christmas Sunday morning, all right? And this is what I'm going to challenge you. Go to church on Christmas Sunday, but go home to church. We're not going to have worship here we're going to spend the week, the months, excuse me, this month, equipping you so that on Christmas Sunday, when we're at Christmas Eve services here, the whole shebang, everything, candlelight, everything, it'll be a beautiful time. But on Christmas Sunday morning, it'll be Sunday morning this year, we're asking that everywhere around Northwest Arkansas, Grace Point Church will be meeting. You'll be meeting with your homes. You'll be meeting with extended families. You might even have neighbors who don't go to church somewhere, and that you will invite them into your home. We're going to give you those opportunities. If you if you weren't with us a year ago, we gave these out. These are time capsules, and we gave gave that we're asking you to bring them back. And we're going to equip and we're going to stock them up and we're going to put stuff in there. And you're going to have stuff so that you can have direction to lead your family. You're going to grab this this week. You're going to take the initiative. Listen, I can dump a truckload of stuff in your lap. The point is is will you? Will you? What does it mean? we got to be, as as the scripture talked about, it says you teach your children. But the second thing he said there is you talk about them. Notice what he said. You teach them to your children and you talk about them. Well, whenever, when do you talk about them? Well, when you're sitting at home. You might might be, I'll, I'll give you some examples in a moment. When you're walking down the street, when you, when, you're, when you get up in the morning, and when you fall in the bed at night, you're just doing it all the time. You're constantly talking about it, just creating a home, an atmosphere where we're going to have ideas and concepts that we're going to intentionally bring God's Word and God's truth into it and, and make sure the next generation is processing life, making decisions, based on an eternal truth of God. So here, these are my four. You can write your own four. But as we have raised up our kids and we've got one more at home to launch, and so as we're raising up our kids and we're launching them out, let me tell you four things that we did as a family and that we still do today as a family, that we just do to make sure our children are, are, are growing up in the faith and, and continuing to grow up in the faith. Even though the one's married and gone on and she's, she started our life, she's on the stage worshiping, leading us in worship today. And so we want to see their faith continue to grow. So what do you do? How do you do it? How do we do it? We, we, we Number one is you, you think together. Okay? As life comes at your children, as life comes at you, even, think about it together. But think about it through the lens of Scripture when there's a hurt, when there's a breakup, when there's a disappointment, when there's a a high moment, when there's a successful moment, when there's success, when there's failure, whatever it may be that you're going through, think about it. Critically assess it. Whenever you are watching the news at night and and something comes on that's an injustice that's happening around the world, pause that TV. Stop and talk about it. Let it be something that you're going to say, hey, you know, what's wrong with that? What's right with that? How can we be involved in that? And you just create an atmosphere of conversation. You're driving down the road and you see something or or you hear an ambulance off or, or whatever it may be, you know, talk about it in this kind of thinking kind of world. Teach them to where they can think critically and listen, they can ask questions and they're not guilted for asking the question that you don't like. Mom, did you vote for Trump or did you vote for Hillary? You know, let them process through that. All right. I thought I'd get a chuckle out of that at least. All right. Number two, Read together. Read together. Grow together through that reading. A book that I read a long time ago was Wild at Heart. Gave it to my boy, uh, Caleb. He read it. And now Josh is reading it. It's one of those things that... And Josh picked it up and started reading it on his own. And so it's one of those things that in our family, just you want to be Wild at you want to be a man, then we're, we're using this as a template. We're, we're going through this. And, and so we, we talk about these things. We read together. We share together. We pray together. Okay? We're praying together. Again, I share the example of what we did this past Sunday. It's like, okay, what's big in everyone's life this week? Well, Josh had a couple of tests. And uh, Tiernan, our son-in-law, he's, he's not been feeling well. And Lori's writing, doing her master's. And so she had a paper due. And, and I had some things. that I. So we just we took time and we prayed together. And then all week long, we're coming back and we're praying about it. And we're doing it together as a family. Give together. Listen. You want to raise up generous kids? Model generosity. You want to raise up hedonistic little stingy suckers? Be a hedonistic little stingy sucker. And that's exactly what you're going to get. Talk about ways you can be generous in giving together. Listen, parents. Your kids ought to know that you tithe. Kids ought to know that you're giving Consistent budgeted generosity. Your kids ought to know. We can't do that right now because we are going to give to our Christmas offering coming up this year. Or we're going to create a space in our budget for our Christmas offering this year. We're going to have. A, we heard about Chris Cosy last week. Great message. Great work going on in Boston right now. I want to tell you about Mozambique. We got a water well project that we're going to do in Mozambique where where there's you know we just take this for granted. We got a whole pallet of these in the back if y'all are thirsty, all right? We got water fountains around. You can drink the water out of the tap. I can remember when we were in Africa and our kids remember this, when we used to have to go get our water at the city because the water couldn't get pumped to our house because the pumps were broke and we had to carry our water in a drum and then we'd take our water and we'd recycle it. We'd take our bath water and then we'd wash our clothes in it. We'd take our clothes, dirty water, and we'd put it in the back of our toilet and so, that, so we could flush our toilet. Finally, the water went out. We used that water as many times as we could use that water. Well, there's places across Mozambique I don't have water or they have cholera-infested water. And what would it be for Grace Point to have a God-sized vision? We'd see 12 wells in 12 months. 12 wells in 12 months. And we'd be a part of that process into villages where the gospel is going to go right behind it, where they're not only going to learn about this water and get this water for free, but they're also going to learn about the living water in Jesus Christ. That's part of what we're doing this summer. So why don't don't you take your time capsule at home and you just pop the lid on that, put it at the center of the table. And whenever you're having your family discussions, it's just open. And if any of your family member wants to come and drop something in there, because it's going to be given at an appropriate time. Think about it. I'm just giving you ideas. These are just ideas that you can take and use however you will. But here's, here's the challenge, okay? We live in a society that struggles with entitlement. I don't know if you realize that or not. And I have a question I want to ask moms and dads and parents and aunts and uncles and so forth in the room. Do you have a spirit of entitlement or a spirit of gratitude? Think about that. Because, see, the people of Israel, they were given this beautiful promised land. And if you go on and you read just a few verses later... You'll read how they would be given land. Listen listen to the way this describes this land, verse 10. And the Lord your God brings you into the land. He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've been waiting for this for generation after generation. He says, with great and good cities that you didn't build. And houses full of goods, things that you didn't fill. And cisterns that you didn't dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. And when you are eat and are full, man, isn't that awesome? You live in a house. You try to get your kids to understand this. You live in a house. Man, it costs money to build that house, right? It takes it takes sweat. It takes commitment. Mortgage payment every month. Yeah, it's tough. You know, you got to help that next generation understand even at the basic level that this house comes with blood and sweat and this car that we drive comes with blood and sweat. This this takes a lot. You know what happens? What happens is so sad. We will eat and are full and then if we're not careful, God forbid, we'll forget him. Lest we forget the Lord. And this is all in the same context, my friends. If we're not careful, we will be the generation that raises a prosperous generation that will have full houses and full cisterns and full bellies but empty souls. Full houses, full cisterns, full olive groves, Full cars, full vacations, but empty souls. Lest we forget the Lord. You know, my challenge in this entire time of this Christmas season is that we not forget God in the midst of all the material and all the stuff. And the fact that Christmas will be a year-round celebration, that we will celebrate the worship of Christ all year long. I'll tell you about a seventeen-year-old boy who was a gangster, literally part of a gang, growing up in England, and uh, he goes to one service one night at a church, and he intended, in all by all means, to disrupt and disturb that service. But he walks in, and a, a power that he could not see a power that he could not overcome as a gangster, grabs a hold of him and sets him down. And he listens. And he hears this incredible message from a guy named George Whitfield. And when he hears that message, it changes him. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. But he remembered his past. He also looked to his future And he knew that at any given moment, he might slip back here, but he was aiming for here. So that was when he was 17. When he was 23, he wrote a poem. Poem later on, literally decades later, it becomes a hymn. A hymn that you, you might know, but these are the words of the hymn. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it with. Seal it for thy courts above. It's that first phrase that whenever I finished putting this message together, I just thought, oh my goodness, prone to wonder. Prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God that I love. You know, here's the sad part is, is I can live with God and live for God today. But oh, that my next generation and oh, that even in my own life I might be prone to wonder and prone to leave the God I love. For some of you today, you want to do this. You want to do this. But you're having a hard time. Listen, this is a good beginning point. Right here and now. Say, oh God, I give myself fully to you. I give myself wholeheartedly to you. I don't want to hold back any longer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Because for some of you, you need to pray that prayer. Maybe you've been prone to wonder and you've wandered away. Maybe you've been prone to to leave the God that you love and you no longer love Him like you once loved Him. I challenge you that right here and now you would... uh, you would surrender afresh. You'd say, my kids are grown, what can I do now? Yeah, you can still show them, model for them the exemplary life of following Christ. You can still speak into their life. I don't have kids, how can I do that? Listen, set your life on the right course now. Set things on course now. I'm not even married. Set your life on course now so that when you do find that person, you will enter into a vibrant faith filled, Christ-centered home. Father God, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. You know where each person in this room is at. And Lord, some are hot-hearted and following fast and hard after you. And Lord, this just stokes them and gives them another step in in the life of transferring their faith. And others, Lord, are way, way, way away. Far away from following you. I pray you'd use these moments to restore, renew, and refresh a commitment to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. No looking back. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us?